You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melker. Thank you so much for listening. This is the uh, first uh, installment of the show since uh, since the winter meetings. And yes, uh, no show last week because I was actually at the winter meetings. First time ever. Uh, so there's a lot to catch up on. Not the busiest uh, of winter meetings, uh, but nonetheless, because uh, I haven't been on the air here uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, there, there is much, much to catch up on, um, but uh, uh, all that is going to uh, wait a bit. Uh, starting the show, uh, talking about something I really was hoping I wouldn't have to talk about uh, today, uh, but uh, a good friend of the fantasy community, uh, somebody I am very, very honored uh, to call a friend, uh, Laura Michaels. Uh, co-host of the uh, fans or the uh, Tout Wars Hour here on uh, Fancy Sports Radio. Uh, he uh, passed away just uh, earlier today, uh, Wednesday, um, and it's just uh, incredibly sad times uh, for for everyone in the fantasy community. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know a lot of you uh, listening have read Laura's work over the years with uh, Creative Sports. He was the founder of Creative Sports uh, back in the mid '90s. Um, some of you, uh, I think, uh, know Laura personally. Uh, he was somebody who was everywhere in the fantasy uh, community. Uh, somebody who was friendly and open with everybody. Uh, and like I said, I was very honored uh, to be able to to call him uh, a friend and, and a colleague in the uh, in the community. And uh, last couple of years that I've been on uh, FNTSY. I've had the the honor of actually co-hosting as a guest uh, for for Justin Mason when uh, he was unable to do the show, uh, and and Laura asked me several times to co-host the show with him, and possibly the most fun I've ever had uh, doing anything on air uh, because Laura's just he's just a fun guy and and not just knowledgeable about baseball but loved music had his own own band was very good guitarist um and uh, so you know we talked about music we talked about sports uh and he was just uh just an awesome human being so uh, laura michaels you are going to be uh tremendously missed and um fancy baseball is just uh, just not going to be the same without you so uh it's hard to uh to move on really uh after after that, but uh, there is uh, much to talk about in uh, in baseball and fancy baseball. And uh, like I said, I will get to uh, a discussion of the winter meetings. Uh, but uh, almost a week has elapsed since then, and there have been some uh, some moves of note that we will take note of here. Uh, the biggest one, probably in the last few days, is the Astros going and signing Michael Brantley to a two-year deal worth $32 million. Uh, Brantley uh, having, I I guess you could call it a comeback season last year, although in 2017, uh, Brantley uh, performed, I think, above expectations, but still, you know, coming back 
uh, from from shoulder surgery, and uh, it was it was quite a lengthy comeback uh, process for Brantley. But we saw it in fall in 2018, hit 309, homered 17 times, 12 steals, really pr- pretty much the full package that you had come to expect from from Michael Brantley, uh, one of the game's premier contact hitters. But he's not just that. Um, you know, there are, there are a handful of players that you can reliably expect are going to strike out uh, in the neighborhood of maybe 10% of the time. Uh, Jose Altuve, Andrelton Simmons. Uh, but but Brantley is, uh, you know, somebody who, again, really can give you well-rounded uh, production. And, and so now he's going to be part of uh, uh, what looks to be a, a terrific Astros lineup. Uh, also creating even more of a log jam there. And uh, I think on some previous shows, I've talked about the, the pitching log jam, but um, you know, now there's really a, a log jam offensively and particularly in the outfield. Uh, there've been some reports that maybe Josh Reddick will be on the move. Um, Kyle Tucker, perhaps I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. So the Astros are, are just stacked at the major league level. They're stacked in the minors uh, and they could be making more moves. And in fact, um, they are reportedly in the mix to uh, to to uh, be dealing for JT Real Muto. So they they had uh, some interest uh, earlier in the off season, and then uh, acquired Robinson Chirinos, and were presumed to be out of the the Real Muto discussions. But after this uh, signing of Michael Brantley, I mean, it really it makes all the sense in the world because they've got outfield surplus. And so the aforementioned Kyle Tucker, he could be dangled uh, as uh, someone that uh, could go to the Marlins, perhaps. Uh, certainly the Marlins would be interested in Kyle Tucker. Uh, there are still a number of other teams that are uh, interested in J-Tail Real Muto uh, from uh, Joe Frazaro, who also uh, was first to report the Astros' uh, resurgent interest in Real Muto. Uh, Frazaro of MLB.com, for those who are not familiar. Uh, he also notes that the Padres, Dodgers, and Rays are among the teams that are also interested in talking to the Marlins. So uh, there's you know nothing imminent on this front, but it certainly makes a world of sense that the Astros and the Marlins would be talking here. Uh, Marlins still you know looking to uh, fill in talent at, at really at all levels. And uh, Astros, you know, certainly they have a, a viable catcher now in Chirinos, but you, you would pass up the opportunity to add Real Muto to that roster. And, you know, Chirinos could either be a backup or, you know, somebody who maybe gets, you know, traded either whether it's part of a Real Muto deal or, or some other deal. Uh, you know, they've just got all kinds of options with the surpluses that they have. So that'll be an ongoing story. I don't know for how much longer, but uh, among the stories uh, that you add with uh Bryce Harper still being a free agent and, and Manny Machado. Uh, somebody who's no longer a free agent is Wilson Ramos. So the Mets will, uh, who actually were uh, during the, the winter meetings, in fact, Mets were one of the big stories in terms of their pursuit of JT Real Muto. And at one point, it sounded like the Mets, Yankees, and Marlins were working towards a deal, three-way deal. That, of course, never materialized. And maybe... Because of that, or at least in part because of that, Mets did go out and uh, they uh, signed uh, Ramos to a two-year deal worth $19 million. That also includes a 2021 team option. 
Ramos had a very nice season, also uh, coming back from injury, uh, mostly with the Rays, but also a little bit uh, towards the end of the season with the Phillies, hitting 306 with 15 home runs. I think he only hit one home run with the Phillies. It was sort of an odd tenure for him because the Phillies were sort of uh, being a, a little cautious with his playing time, uh, perhaps at a point when they were still looking at maybe being in the in the postseason and making sure Ramos was healthy. But in any event, uh, a, a great season overall for, for Wilson Ramos, who uh, will certainly go well behind Real Muto, I would think, in drafts coming up before you know it, starting probably in about two months or so, two, two and a half months. Uh, and, and I think, he, you know, where I've seen him go in early drafts, he's a bargain, I would say. Now, yeah, he comes with all sorts of risks. Uh, I would say most pro, uh, primarily as a, a health risk because Ramos has missed time over the year with the over the years with a variety of ailments. He, uh, you know, I mentioned the fact that didn't hit for much power with the Phillies, hit a lot of ground balls. And for somebody who does profile mostly as a power hitter, he could certainly hit for average like he did this past season. But offensively, I think his key contribution is as a power hitter, he does hit quite a few grounders. So, you know, sort of, I guess, maybe in that Eric Hosmer territory, or maybe if you want to include Christian Yelich that, you know, like if Christian Yelich were to go back to being a 60, 65% ground ball hitter, yeah, he'd lose a lot of his power that we saw this year with the Brewers. Uh, you know, I think Ramos, he he's a little bit risky in the same way. But like I said before, I think as uh, someone who will go considerably later than Real Muto, and I would think also probably considerably later than Gary Sanchez, I think he's uh, could could be quite the bargain. The White Sox have uh, traded for Yonder Alonso. They sent uh, minor league outfielder Alex Call to uh, back to uh, to Cleveland. Uh, Alonso, a little bit of a downturn this season after that uh, breakout year that was mostly with the the A's, a little bit uh, also with the Mariners. But in 2018, Alonso hit 250, 23 home runs. He did not regress. In terms of the launch angle tendencies, that you know, he Alonzo was one of the big stories in 2017. Uh, I'd say along with Ryan Zimmerman as poster children for the launch angle revolution, so called, uh, and uh, a little bit of a decline in, in power and, and batting average. But you know, I think it's sort of an underrated story about Alonzo that. He didn't regress much, and he did retain that batted ball profile that he uh, dramatically changed in 2017. So going to the White Sox, this is uh, this is kind of a nice deal for Yonder Alonso because that's a good power-hitting ballpark. Uh, definitely an upgrade from Cleveland, from Seattle, from Oakland. So he might be a little, little sneaky, sneaky late-round value, Yonder Alonso. Uh, now, it's been speculated, and understandably so, that the White Sox interested Yonder Alonso stems from the fact that he just happens to be Manny Machado's brother-in-law, and the White Sox are involved in talks with uh, Machado. So that certainly doesn't doesn't hurt them. Uh, by the way, uh, Call, the, the player going the other way to Cleveland, uh, he hit two forty eight. Split the season uh, between the Cal Carolina and Southern League, so advanced Class A, and then uh, promoted to Double A. Hit two forty eight with twelve home runs, so not a not a huge prospect there. Uh, but that that's a player going the other way. 
Uh, Matt Harvey, just uh, within the last 24 hours or so, he agreed to a deal with the Angels, a one-year deal worth $11 million. And sort of an interesting story from last year. Did not pitch well at all for the Mets in the early part of the season. Got dealt to the Reds and showed some improvement. Perhaps most notably that his velocity, which had been way down early in the season, bounced back uh, once he got traded to, to Cincinnati. Uh, his uh, his control as measured by zone percentage, percentage pitches located in the strike zone, also improved dramatically with the Reds. And so he improved a lot in terms of his walk rate. But, you know, if you're looking for a bounce back from Matt Harvey, that's nice and everything, but you certainly would have liked to have seen it in terms of strikeouts and swings and misses. And while there was some improvement there, it wasn't, I would say, dramatic. Certainly just a shadow of the the Matt Harvey uh, of his best years with the Mets. And in terms of a negative, another, you know, a, a true negative for Matt Harvey last season, he allowed a lot of hard contact. He had one of the highest average exit velocities on liners and fly balls in the major leagues. And uh, that was not a great combination once he got to Cincinnati. So certainly, if that's going to be a continued weakness for Matt Harvey, then Angel Stadium's a great place to mask that weakness. But uh, obviously, for him to really be fantasy viable, need to see the strikeouts come back. And, you know, perhaps perhaps we do see that. I mean, it, you know, it's maybe a little bit forgotten uh, that... He, you know, he did have the the thoracic outlet syndrome, and it, it could take a while to come back from that. And I mean, there's no guarantee that he will call come all the way back, but I do think that there is still some upside with with Matt Harvey that definitely should not be be underrated. A few uh, minor moves here, relatively minor moves. Uh, Ian Kinsler signed with the Padres for two years, eight million dollars. Not a very good 2018 season for Kinsler, who was one of my sleeper picks going into the year because he had sort of a down 2017 season, but one of those down seasons that wasn't really backed up by the peripheral stats. So even though he's very firmly in the decline phase of his career, I thought, well, Kinsler coming off of a down season and with the, you know, sort of ageist tendencies that a lot of us have in fantasy, thought he might be a good value. Didn't turn out that way at all, and especially by the time he got traded to the Red Sox uh, during his time there. Really not much production at all, especially a lack of power production. So I'm far less far less uh, bullish on Ian Kinsler. Uh, maybe there is some some bounce back potential, but you certainly won't have to spend uh, you know much of anything to get Kinsler and, and to look for that. But uh, yeah, I'll be moving on from him as a even as a late round sleeper. Uh, Jerry Mercer signed a one year deal. With the Tigers for uh, $5.25 million. That's not too notable for Mercer himself or for the Tigers. Uh, they did have now found his, uh, they've now found their uh, Jose Iglesias replacement. Uh, the bigger impact is really on the Pittsburgh side, where the Pirates did not resign Mercer. And that opens the door probably at least at the beginning of the season for either Eric Gonzalez or Kevin Newman of those two. Uh, I'd personally be rooting for Newman a little bit. Uh, I think Gonzalez maybe has some potential batting average upside. But uh, Newman, uh, you certainly like the steals potential there 
from Kevin Newman, and also somebody who's uh, a good contact hitter, could hit for average for the Pirates. Um, and then maybe a little further down on the org chart would be uh, Cole Tucker. So uh, that that's kind of a wide open situation there for the Pirates at shortstop. James McCann, he's moved on from the Tigers. He signed with the White Sox for a year uh, at two and a half million. And then in a subsequent report from the Detroit News, uh, Grayson Griner, not John Hicks. Grayson Griner uh, is expected to serve as the Tigers' primary catcher. And keep a little bit is a little bit of a surprise to me. And my initial reaction to that, if one is to have a reaction about who's going to be the Tigers' primary catcher, it was a little bit of a disappointment because my immediate assumption is, wow, more playing time for for John Hicks, and you know, between uh, being insurance for for Miguel Cabrera and now more playing time behind the plate, this is great news for Hicks, who who can hit for legitimate power. But taking a closer look at Grayson Griner. He's got a little bit of pop, didn't show up in his stat line from his first season with the Tigers, but a decent hard contact rate, some decent power in the minor leagues in the last year or two, and really some on-base on base potential for Griner. So if you're in an OBP league, uh, he's somebody in particularly maybe OBP two catcher league, and yeah, maybe that's narrowing the field a bit, but you know, I'm in those, and in, in that kind of format, I think Griner's somebody, now that he will apparently have the playing time coming to him, that is somebody to tuck away in the later rounds or for, for dollar days if it's an auction. Uh, last year, you know, limited playing time, just over, I think, 100 plate appearances. He had a 14.7% walk rate. He had double-digit double digit walk rates in the minor leagues. Certainly needs to hit for average a little better to really make that pay off. But he could be a little sneaky. Could be decent for on-base percentage. Maybe even a little better than decent. And maybe more power than last season's stat line would lead us to believe. So the McCann move, definitely more impactful for, for Griner. Uh, because uh, McCann would almost certainly serve in a backup role uh, to Wellington Castillo with the White Sox. Daniel Descalso signing for two years $5 million with the Cubs in a utility role there uh, could, you know, could find a good amount of playing time. And he too, uh, last couple of seasons has gone fly ball happy and has improved his power production as a result. So somebody who might be a little bit underrated, overlooked in, in 15 teamers. And, and I think he will be able to help in those formats as a, a super utility type. Matt Adams uh, going back to the Nationals, uh, sort of zigzagging between the Nationals and the Cardinals. It's the Nationals' turn now, signed for uh, one year, $4 million. Had a very nice uh, partial season with the Nationals last year and uh, with somebody who could fill in for Ryan Zimmerman with uh, Zimmerman's pretty much perennial health issues. There, There's certainly a uh, potential there for Adams to get some playing time. This one's probably not that fantasy impactful, but really kind of fun and cool to consider, which is that the Royals brought back Terrence Gore on a one-year major league deal. Uh, so Gore briefly with the Cubs, uh, but a longtime uh, outfielder in the Royals system. I probably should say outfielder slash pinch runner, or maybe put the pinch runner first, pinch runner slash outfielder. So now already you've got Billy Hamilton there. Talk about that in a little bit. 
you've got uh, uh, Adalberto Mondesi. So you got a, a lot of speed on that Royals team. That should be a fun, fun team to watch. And Jerry's Familia going back to the Mets. Seems like we've got quite a few uh, signings here that bring or that brings players back to teams they were with previously. Familia returned to the Mets on a three-year deal worth $30 million. Uh, and he will certainly be in a setup role for Edwin Diaz. So uh, that's a, a good eighth, ninth inning uh, combination there for the Mets, but not that it certainly doesn't do too much for uh, Familia's fantasy value. So that's really what's happened in the past week or so, maybe past six days. But let's go a little bit further back to the winter meetings, and I realize that this is at this point kind of sort of old news, but uh, haven't talked about it here. And there are uh, you know some some things to take a, a closer look at. So first of all, the the big news at the winter meetings happened pretty much at the very end. It was slow. It was definitely a slow, slowish winter meetings. Uh, a lot of anticipation, a lot of rumors of deals that never happened, like the Real Muto deal that never happened. But the big deal that did happen uh, towards the very, very end of the meetings was the three-team deal with the Indians, Mariners, and Rays, uh, with the the big player involved there, Edwin Encarnacion, going from the Indians to the Mariners. And then there were reports that it looked like uh, the Mariners were going to flip Encarnacion to the, the, the Rays. That did not happen, or at least has not happened as of yet. I think, you know, we all have to rightly assume at some point Encarnacion will get flipped. Uh, and, you know, there, another aspect of this deal was that uh, it was made by Jerry DePoto from his hospital bed. Just a, a kind of a crazy story. Uh, but, uh, Encarnacion, so for the time being, a Mariner. And uh, so also the Mariners getting cash from Tampa Bay. Now, that's not you know their manager, Kevin Cash. That's just actual cash dollars going to Seattle from uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay also sent Jake Bowers to Cleveland. And Cleveland then also got Carlos Santana, uh, who already got flipped. So uh, Santana came to the Mariners from the Phillies of the Gene Segura deal and then pretty promptly flipped to the Indians as a part of this deal. And then finally, just to close up the loop here, a couple players going from the Indians to the Rays, most notably Yandy Diaz going to the Rays. Uh, Diaz never really got that much of an opportunity to play for the Indians, uh, probably best known for his lack of launch angle. But still, a lot of uh, a lot of batting average potential there for Diaz, and uh, also um, right-handed relief prospect Cole Sulser, also going from the Indians to the Rays. So uh, Jake Bowers uh, would seem, especially now, as uh, I mentioned earlier in the show, with Yonder Alonso out of the picture, uh, Jake Bowers stands to get regular playing time with the uh, with the Indians. Uh, Carlos Santana, likewise, uh, not that that was ever really going to be a question for them. And so, you know, really the, the I guess the big uh, sort of wild card still is where is Encarnacion actually going to be on opening day? I would think probably not Seattle. And uh, what sort of role is Yandy Diaz going to have for the Rays? So those TBD, we'll uh, check back in on those. Some other deals from the winter meetings, uh, and actually this one just finalized uh, within the last 24 hours or so, Andrew McCutcheon signed by the Phillies on a three-year deal worth $50 million. That 
probably doesn't bode well for some Phillies outfielder, whether it be Nick Williams or Odubel Herrera. Uh, what we do know is that, um, and of course, well, we knew this with the uh, trading away of Carlos Santana, that Reese Hoskins will move over to, to first base. So that clears an outfield spot, but that, that spot is now clearly being filled by uh, Andrew McCutcheon, who gets a much better park to hit in. Uh, I mean, not compared to Yankee Stadium, where, where he finished up last year, but compared to uh, you know, Pittsburgh and San Francisco. And McCutcheon did hit for, for some good power in his short time with the Yankees. So something a little bit encouraging there in terms of park factor. Uh, park factor, probably not going to work in the favor of Jay Happ. He's going back to the Yankees on a two-year deal worth $34 million. So that also includes an option for 2021. Uh, it was a good meetings for 30-something uh, starting pitchers to sign multi-year deals. Charlie Morton uh, signing up with the Rays on a two-year $30 million deal. So that's a nice addition, and he becomes one of three uh, definite starters for the Rays, uh, along with Blake Snell and uh, Tyler Glass now. Uh, so Morton uh, slides into that rotation, and then you've got your, your two uh, presumably opener days. For the Rays, now they've got Morton. And Morton then no longer in the Houston picture. And unfortunately, I can't attribute to this report what this report was because I didn't write it down and I don't remember it. But I do recall reading uh, somewhere around the time of Morton signing with the Rays that the plan is for Colin McHugh to rejoin the Astros rotation. And by the way, in the just-concluded pitcher list mock, I had the second-to-last pick in the whole draft, and I took Colin McHugh there. So it's just one mock draft, but if that's any indication, and maybe his stock changes now with, with this uh, report, but perhaps Colin McHugh available very, very late in drafts. He was dominant as a reliever, as a reliever uh, has had some, some good uh, seasons with the uh, Astros as a member of the rotation. So that's, that's part of that development as well. Lance Lynn catching on with the Texas Rangers for three years at $30 million. He had a nice little surge with the Yankees uh, as well. I actually dug into that a little bit, so if you want to read up on that a little bit, I did write a piece in the last week or so for Rotographs on Lance Lynn's late-season resurgence with the Yankees, and the short version of it is that it did look sort of fluky. So, And he's going to a park that's better than Yankee Stadium, but not great. So um, I'm not going to be looking at Lance Lynn as a sleeper this year. Tanner Roark, this is an interesting one. Uh, I think going to the Reds in a Tanner for Tanner swap. Uh, Tanner Rainey going back to the Nationals, uh, relief prospect, throws really hard, has some control issues. Uh, Tanner Roark going to the Reds, and he'll uh, slide right into their rotation. The most notable thing I think about Tanner Roark is that he is very, very consistently good season to season to season. At limiting hard contact. And this is the thing. It's a stat that I, I cite quite a bit, but it's not always something that carries over to year to year. Well, I, I think he's proven beyond a doubt. Tanner Rourke has proven that he, he's just good at that. And he's going to need that skill in Cincinnati, in that band box of a ballpark. Now, he's pitched a very, very limited number of innings there, just 22 innings in his career at Great American Ballpark. But those initial results, really good. Um, he's held hitters to a collective 267 WOBA. So that's that's superb. 
And his home run to fly ball ratio there, 8.7%. Very good. So this is going to be an interesting test to see how well that skill of limiting hard contact, how well that's going to serve him in a ballpark that's really going to test his ability to limit home runs. Uh, so I don't know if uh, people maybe will sour on Tanner Rourke a little bit uh, because of the change of venue, but could be surprisingly good there. The Tigers signed Tyson Ross for one year at $5.75 million. Um, semi-bounce back season with the Padres and then late in the year with the Cardinals. Actually didn't really pitch that well with the Cardinals at all. Uh, started off looking like it could be a good rebound season, but really not a not a great season overall in 2018 for Tyson Ross. But uh, he'll be there for the Tigers and probably not there for long if he does pitch well, given that they are in full rebuild mode. The White Sox making a move for pitching, getting Ivan Nova from the Pirates and uh, sending to Pittsburgh 19-year-old right-hander Jordi Rosario. Uh, this is, you talk about park factors, now, this is, this is no Tanner Roark situation. Nova is not known for keeping the ball in the park. It's not known for limiting hard contact. Uh, earlier in his career, he was pretty good ground ball pitcher. He's not been that for years. Uh, pretty much a pitch-to-contact guy with really good control. But that's not necessarily a great profile now that he's going to uh, the White Sox, who have a pretty tough park for pitchers. And here's a split that I find really, really sort of discouraging for Ivan Nova. As a, in his two and a half years as a Pittsburgh Pirate, he was really good at PNC Park. He made the most of that very pitcher-friendly venue with a 281 ERA at home. Away from Pittsburgh, as a Pirate, 506 ERA. And now he's going to a really tough park. So, yeah, big red flag for Ivan Nova. Mentioned earlier on the show, Royals have signed Billy Hamilton, signed him to a one-year deal worth $5.25 million. And contrary to what I was reading in a lot of places um, when he was non-tender by the Reds, that he would land somewhere as a fourth outfielder. Nope. As it stands right now, he would get a lot of playing time. He'd be a, an everyday starter for the Royals unless they make some other move. And I, as far as I've read, that's the plan, is for Billy Hamilton to be pretty much an everyday uh, outfielder there, so uh, Royals historically, Ned Yost has liked to be aggressive with the running game. They're certainly structured their roster to make use of that. So even though Billy Hamilton has proven over the course of several seasons now that he doesn't hit for average, doesn't get on base very often, that even despite those things, if you let him run, he could steal you know 60-plus bases. So maybe a, a bit of a resurgence there for Billy Hamilton, at least in that one category uh, where he can help you. Justin Bohr signed with the Angels for one year for $2.5 million. Uh, looks like his main function there is probably to keep the seat warm for Shohei Otani until he's ready to come back as a DH and, and just generally be insurance for Otani and Albert Pools. And then uh, finally, uh, Troy Tulowitzki. Uh, he was released by the Blue Jays and on Tuesday uh, did a workout in front of representatives from at least 11 different teams. So a lot of interest there for uh, Troy Tulowitzki. Some of the reports on him from that uh, practice session were really positive. Uh, I know one report that I saw said that he looked like he was fully healthy again. So um, 
not clear though how much he would play wherever he goes. Uh, the Giants, I know, have uh, expressed some interest, but uh, you know we just can't assume at this point. You know, we can't assume sustained health. We can't assume necessarily an everyday role for Tulowitzki. But that's one to keep an eye on if he is in fact healthy and if in fact he can find a place to play or he's got the opportunity to be a regular or close to it. Then it gets uh, maybe a little bit interesting uh, for for Troy Tulowitzki. So uh, that's that's a wrap up of the the major deals that went down. Uh, at winter meetings and that's a that's a wrap up for me so uh <laughs> i look forward to uh being here again next week so uh thanks again for for joining me and uh enjoy the uh, hot stove se- hot stove season as it continues on so uh have a good one everybody take care <laughs>